What is up everyone and welcome to episode 431 of Combo's Court and you know who it is. I am Combo. Don't forget to rate, review, and punch down on that subscribe But in today's show, Coach Nick of B-Ball Breakdown returns to Combo's Court to talk trends when it comes to NBA offense. Are the Nets, once again, legit title contenders? And the NBA Western Conference landscape, plus more. Go subscribe to B-Ball Breakdown on YouTube. Intro music by Luca Beats. Let's get into it. Nick, B-Ball Breakdown, welcome back to the show. You know, as much as we talk basketball, I always look forward to talking basketball with you, man. How are you, Coach Nick? I, I'm great. I'm great. I always love it. It's been too long, so it's been nice to get back and uh, see your face and talk a little basketball with you. Most definitely, Coach Nick. Obviously, you're always diving into the video, diving into the numbers. What have you noticed about trends when it comes to offense in the NBA? Can you predict where it's all going? Can you forecast where the NBA is heading towards when it comes to offense? Well, I mean, it, it continues to go up, the offensive ratings. Uh, and I do feel like, you know, we're seeing a lot of just sort of like, you know, the, what we've seen the last few years, um, sort of a lot of really spacing as far as possible, trying to drag the defense out as far as they can, um, and then creating gaps to be able to drive. So you still see a lot of that. And I think what, what ends up happening is, is that more and more players are better at putting the ball on the ground. And once you create those penetration lanes into the middle, generally now you're, and then more and more players are getting better at catching and shooting threes as well and practicing that. So it's kind of like an untenable situation for the defense, which is why I just did a video on Luke Cornett. I don't know if you saw it, but I got to interview him as well. Yeah. And um, you know, he is just jumping up from the box and putting his hands up. And, you know, obviously some of the people he's doing it to are not great shooters. So the data, which is a small sample, isn't, you know, perfect, but there might be something to that. I'm, I'm looking for anything that the defense can do to change it up, because right now it does seem like um, it'll just the space will get bigger and bigger. They'll spread the defense out more and more. More and more players are going to be able to attack on the catch and get, you know, baseline or get middle. And uh, that's just a recipe for disaster. It's just, for the defensive side. It's just going to be more and more open shots. And, um, you know, I, I, at some point it's going to die down and or it won't continue to grow the offensive ratings. But at this rate, it does feel like we'll, we'll, we'll continue to see the average offensive rating just continue to creep up for a few more years at least. You talk about spacing. So do you feel players like Brunson and then SGA, which you did a video on, now might have it a little bit easier because the defense has adjusted to the three-point revolution? Well, I, yeah, and I, I think maybe what you're talking about is like they can now go post up. And and then or or in the lane, they now have a lot more room because the guys don't want to help off as far, which I also suppose is going to have to be another one of those. It's weird because I'm going to end up talking about defense when you want to talk about offense. But um, yeah, we're, we're seeing like, in, for instance, we're seeing a resurgence of guys posting up as well. And like, it, I have always said the guards should be posting up more, but um, it, it's sort of a, a, as a result of more space. 
Now you can go back to work in the post, maybe one-on-one, which with some of these guys are so good that a turnaround jumper from 12, 14 feet is nothing. It's a layup for a lot of those guys um, because they are training a lot about shooting from distance now, right? So it's like it's made those shots even easier in theory. So, um, so that's, that's what I feel like we're seeing from like the Brunson's now I, for the New York Knicks stuff, which I'm going to take a deeper dive into as soon as I can, it does feel like a lineup changes were really the key to unlocking this big winning streak they had. I know they got beat last night, but, um, it seems like there's a defensive issue that they've been able to solve better in the, during that winning streak than the offensive side, for instance. So I wanted to shift to the nets because Katie is pretty much willing them to victories. Obviously him and Kyrie have been a great duo, especially since Kyrie came back. Do you feel like now with what you're seeing lately that they're back to being a legit title contender? I mean, the big headline, you know, is that, let's see here. What I just saw the tweet was he's shooting uh, over a 60% effective field goal. And I feel like maybe the true shooting is even higher when you factor in free throws. Um, and I don't think anyone's ever done that. Do you know what that stat was? No one's ever no. done it and scored 30 a game, uh, you know, on high volume scoring ever before. He's at 30.1 points per game. So, you know, it's easy if you're just a center who gets dump off passes for dunks a lot. Yeah, you can shoot 65, 70% from the field. And we've seen that for a long time. But a guy who's doing it like Durant from all over the place, I mean, it's probably not sustainable like that. And then as a result, maybe some of the margins are not going to be as favorable for the Nets, you know, if if Durant can't do all-time crazy shooting. But at the very least, what we should be seeing from them is what we're seeing, which is they should be winning 65% of their games with that kind of talent on the roster. So, you know, yeah, I I would anticipate we continue to see some version of this now. I mean, listen, what's what's the winning streak? One, two, three, four, five, six, uh, seven-game win streak, and then – Eight, nine, 10, 11, 11 out of 12. Um, you know, that's some really good play. Now, obviously, if you look at the, the schedule, because let's look at some of the wins, Portland, Orlando, Washington, Toronto. That's the first of, the, of that group. Eh, they lose to the Celtics, uh, you know, comfortably. Then they beat the Hornets, the Hawks, the Pacers, the Wizards, the Raptors, the Pistons, the Warriors. I don't know. I'm, I'm not. That's not really selling me just yet. We got to see a game like they're going to play uh, tonight against the Bucks, and then the Cavaliers on Monday. Now, those are two games I'd like to see and see how they measure up. So Jacques Vaughn is actually doubling down on defense and rebounding around them. And Patty Mills and Seth Curry are playing less. Do you feel like there's a scenario where the Nets might want to trade those players and get an interior big? and just keep doubling down on the defense and rebounding around their two stars? I don't know. It's hard to imagine that it got two guys like Patty Mills and, and Seth Curry aren't, aren't vital to a, a good team's success. It just is weird to me because we've seen Curry has just been a winner wherever he's gone. And, and, and when he's left, like you've seen a void that those teams, you know, in Dallas and Philly have been missing. So it's strange to me that like, you know, and I get it defensively, there are some issues there, but generally when they're playing well and Patty Mills, you know, throughout his whole career. And then he, especially on Team Australia, it's just weird that he wouldn't be able to be more effective offensively, which would then offset any of the issues they might have defensively as well. So I think that there's probably versions of lineups they could create that would get those guys normal minutes and they could be effective. But, um, you know, as it is now, there should be some value to them. And yeah, um, you know, could they bring another wing, uh, you know, three and D guy, I suppose they'd still want to bring in some shooting, I would imagine. So that would be important, but yeah, they want to try and find some more defense again, everybody covets those players. So I like, I don't even know who's available, who they could get, they would bring in like, is it Jay Crowder or something like that? I don't know. 
Yeah, Jay Crowder. I mean, the Bulls guys are going to become available. I just don't know how that works with uh, – well, they had a crazy win, actually, I think, last night. But I don't know how that works with the contracts and if they could actually get those guys yeah. under the salary cap, right? Like, I mean, Vucevic, I mean, would be a nice piece there, just a, a big with some girth to put next to Claxton because I think in the playoffs they could get pounded down there uh, with rebounding and post play. Um, okay. Okay. I mean, Vucevic is necessarily the guy who's going to like, he's had moments. It's weird. And I think, um, just by the fact that he's like, you know, his name, you might think, oh, he's the one, like a soft player is not going to play tough defense, but he, you're right there. He can, he can bang and he can grab some rebounds that might maybe Claxton wouldn't get cause he gets pushed out of the way. Um, but I, you know, and obviously having him offensively would be interesting because now that makes them very diversified. And, but again, a whole challenge to integrate somebody in the middle of the year, which would be a very tough, especially the guy like that, who's a low post player, uh, to some degree, I know he goes high post and he will spread it out too. So, um, you know, that would be interesting to me. I was almost going to say like, was it like Zach Levine? Like he's probably on the block as well. Um, yeah, but, I mean, do you like that fit next to, is it more of just doubling down on what you already have and I not, mean, fill, and not, not fill in the gaps if you bring in Zach Levine? I, and I love Zach Levine's game. I love all those guys actually on the ball. I mean, it's an interesting, it, it'd be an interesting dynamic because he's there. I've seen moments and they're not a lot, but there are moments when we've seen Levine kind of play defense hard. Maybe he hasn't had to work so hard on offense. And so he's found some moments where he could do that. I've seen it in my mind. So I could picture him doing it. So he he could kind of do that. Certainly, athletically, there isn't anybody who can match him. You know, aside from maybe like KD and that guy. Those that guy is a serious athlete. And if he can focus that on the defensive end, moving wise, he could be very effective there. And then you, he gives you all the things he can do positively on the offensive end. Hasn't been great this year, and with the fit for whatever reason, but for the Bulls. But that would be a little interesting if maybe, you know, Vaughn could sit him down and say, listen, you know, if you want to get your normal minutes, you're going to have to give me much more effort on the defensive end. And maybe he'll buy into that, knowing that, you know, he's he's losing years here uh, of his prime, you know, trying to find a winning team. And, uh, and maybe that'll do it. So that's interesting. But, you know, Vooch could be something as well uh, that might help them as well, because obviously, yes, they they need someone like that. You know, uh, it is like is Nurkic available? I don't know what Portland's going to do. Yeah, I don't think so. I think Nurkic is one of those guys that they're going to keep with Dame. Just that's just my opinion. I think they have a very good relationship, and Vucevic is more of the guy that is going to be available because they. It sounds like they're going to blow this Bulls thing up, and that's not going too well for them. Even though, as I just talked about, they did win recently one game. But yeah, but like right, what's the standings? They're 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 they have a losing record uh, at this point. What is it? Um, they're not there. Let's see, where are they? The to Bulls me, that's are... it, it's it's the Lonzo Ball effect. Like that, he was the connecting piece for them. I, I hear you. They're they're thirteen and eighteen, and they're you know half game out of the just being in the the potential play in, um, you know not where they want to be with the team that they had. And you're right, Ball you know makes a lot of uh, change uh, impact with them, and I, it, it doesn't sound like he could they could figure out his knee issues. It's really too bad because you know it, it, he shouldn't be out this long, and you know they should be able to figure this out. And and it's uh, it's frustrating for everybody, I'm sure. So I know you've been watching some Jokic film. But let's shift out West. We could talk about Denver if you'd like. But which team do you feel out West has the best chance to win an NBA title as of right now? Like you could update your opinions because there's a lot of injuries. So what are your thoughts on the current landscape of the West? 
Well, I just tweeted this out yesterday. I'm like, it, it's weird, man. It is a weird landscape out there in the West. By the way, I don't know if you noticed, low-key, Denver just snuck up and took the first spot in the West. Like, out of nowhere, they they had been kind of, you know, quiet and, no, and, you know, I wasn't, no one, I wasn't sold that they had any, they had any aspirations to like championship stuff. But here they are tied with Memphis at the top. Uh, the Pelicans are half game behind. The Pelicans I did a video on, which I was really excited to do uh, with Zion. And uh, there might have been a little bit of a, uh, you know, there's a Sports Illustrated drinks, you know, that, you know, that thing when you're on the cover of Sports, Sports Illustrated. Sometimes it happens in B-Ball Breakdown as well, where I do the thing where they're for real and then, then they lose a few games in a row, which is what happened. But um, it's a strange time to think that Denver, Memphis and New Orleans are the top three teams, which is probably not what anybody had on their bingo card to start the season. Um, but we have to remember the Pelicans are the team that, um, you know, Zion could lead the league in scoring because he makes his shots so easy. He's so explosive and so good. And the defense, the offense works so well to get him going left. And then he can sell the left and then spin back the other way every once in a while to keep you honest. Um, and then defensively, they've got a number of really great defensive players that will keep that, keep them up on the standings there. And guess what? Uh, Brandon Ingram hasn't really been playing at all. Right. So that's the real difference there. Once they bring the guy who can score 25 a game and play defense for them, uh, they should be the, you know, the team that you would, you consider uh, to, to, to get deep into the playoffs. Do you feel like it's too early in their trajectory? And actually to your point, CJ just started playing. Well, we didn't see CJ play this well when BI was playing and Zion wasn't playing quite this well when BI was playing. So do you feel like it could be too, like, do you feel like it's too early in their trajectory or because of those factors? And also the Warriors and, and Lakers are injury bound at this point, right? AD is out and Steph is out. Do you believe that they could be even a favorite at this point? Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's almost like someone, you know, had a, a little talk with CJ and then he started suddenly shooting better. Uh, it's amazing how that's how that works. So um, I, I would anticipate at the very least CJ is going re to regress to the mean. And, um, you know, just there, there might be, you know, I, I, he might just start shooting better because he might be, you know, there might be some information coming his way that will help him. So we'll, we'll, I, I will predict that he'll start shooting better. And then, yeah, they'll, they'll continue to play better and better. And I, and I obviously Ingram is the key. So you have to, you have to take them absolutely seriously. Um, especially because the Warriors are, you know, they're, they're in danger of not making the playoffs at this point. Um, it, it was interesting because Steph's injury didn't look as serious as it seems to be where he's going to be out that a month or whatever it's going to be. But I just worry that, you know, three weeks from now, when he comes back, they might be, you know, so far down the standings that they might barely not be able to get into the play in. And that'll be just a terrible thing because I think with him, they are a contender in a weird year where the Suns are kind of still there, but like no one, I think there's something going on in the air. There's just something we're off with that. Although all of a sudden DeAndre Ayton is dominating scoring wise in a way that I always knew he could. He had beautiful touch. I thought from 15, 18 feet, um, he's got good feet. And, you know, he just wouldn't get the ball much with that team, with the guards dominating so much. Um, so if that opens up for them, that could change some things as well. But it is a wide open thing because then the Clippers are also the other team. I was just at the game watching them play the Celtics. And, um, you know, they, they're very, very competitive, even when they don't have either Kawhi or Paul George or both. And so you throw those guys out there and those guys know how to win and they are winners. Um, you know, it, it's going to, it's just a confusing time because we're not going to get probably maybe we'll get 10 or 15 games the rest of the year where all those guys are playing healthy, right. Cause of load management, whatever I would imagine just enough to keep some rhythm and something going on. I would think, um, 
And, and it's good enough for them because they can be fourth, fifth in the conference, maybe fourth, get a home court advantage, at least in the beginning. That might be enough for them to protect those guys from getting hurt more and then be ready to go and make a deep playoff run as well. DeAndre Aiden, another guy linked to the Nets. Oh, uh, I mean, you know, is he playing for the trade? You know, sometimes guys are like, yeah, you got to give us something to show so that if you want to get out of here, you know, give us something. So maybe that's what they're doing. They're showcasing him for the trade. That'd be interesting. But then again, they might say, well, crap, look at this. We, we, we can get out of him. Maybe we should keep him. It's kind of like when we were selling my house, uh, uh, you know, several years ago, and we did all these things to the house to improve it, to make it look better. And then you realize, gosh, this house looks really great. Like, well, I don't know if I want to leave now. Look how great the the, uh, the the landscaping is out front. We never did that. And why didn't we do that before? So that could very well be what happens with uh, the landscaping in the, in Phoenix uh, as well. I don't know. It's a str- it, Again, it's a strange it's a strange year. Yeah. And we see DeAndre and arguing with his coach and fellow players on the side. So who knows how long that's going to last for, you know? Wait, did you see arguing this year? Yes, there was a big one. When? Not too long ago. Oh, you know, a big I, one. I, yeah. the family. I guess I've missed a couple of things. I missed, by the way, did they get, they nailed Giannis for a couple of 10 second free throw violations in a game last week or something? I think they did. Some my brother-in-law was telling me this, and I'm like, I didn't hear that, but like maybe he's crazy, but I'm, I'm gonna look that up. But yeah, there, there are things that are getting by me. I apologize. I gotta get back into the swing and uh and, yeah. and as the Christmas Co- season winds up. Coach Monty Williams and him got into it in the bench, and I think um Mikel Bridges was involved, but you know, he's a really good player. Um, I would like to ask you, what could that information if you had to guess, what would that information be that CJ could be getting? Because there might be some people listening that want to become better shooters okay well you know a lot of times if a, if a player is struggling um overall from three-point land he'll go into the gym and shoot 500 shots but he mm. might not necessarily know which shots he needs to shoot because in theory if you're shooting poorly maybe it's just one specific type of shot that's not going well and if you're not focusing on that or, or, or charting all these things then you might just spend a lot of time doing every shot that that's already working fine so, you know, if you're looking at like which direction the pass is coming from or which hand you're dribbling with when you pull up, you might realize that there are certain deficiencies in very specific areas that you can then shore up. And a guy like CJ is so good that all you have to do is say, hey, you might want to work on, you know, left wing catches when the ball comes from the right. Uh, he'll, he'll, his body will figure it out after enough with, with the right focus versus if he goes in and just shoots, you know, 100 shots in the right wing, 100 shots at the top, 100 shots in the left wing. Well, two thirds of those shots aren't the shots he needs to be working on because those are working anyway. And he's not getting the reps he needs where the body is needs to figure that out. And remember, when you're catching the ball from like a pass from the right side, it's a wholly different shot than when you're catching the ball from the left side. So it's a, just a, everything is different. The alignment's different, the hand placement's different on the catch. Um, the defense angles are different. So you need to accordingly practice those things and, and uh, unlock that, you know, what might be stuck in certain areas. So it's very powerful when you look at it that way. And I feel like when you're training yourself at whatever level you are, it's important to understand those things so you can then keep everything balanced. I think sometimes you might realize, oh, my God, I just shot way too many shots from only one spot um, and, uh, and only one kind of shot. The, the pass only coming from one direction. That's important. You want to keep that balanced. Staying on skill development, and the last thing we'll touch on here, when I watch your SGA video, I felt like younger players or players in general could take so much away from the way he finishes the basketball, and I think repping out those type of finishes 
is underrated now when it comes to skill development because everybody's going to shoot the spot up threes. Everybody's going to work on their handle. But that in-between, almost closer than mid-range area, you could really get a lot of buckets and improve your points per game. I, I you know, shout out to Olin Simplitz, who's his uh, a trainer who I, I've known for a long time. And, um, you know, the, the, the key, I think, for those shots, because yeah, they're these tweeners, right, that are not always the kind of things you might not rep as much. Right. Um, and, and, you know, not a lot of players are good at that. They're like really great when they get all the way to the rim and they yes. can do floaters from 14. But when you get to like 10, 8, you know, because those are hard shots that you might not even see the rim. So when you're they're not hard if you rep them out, though. Right. Well, yeah, but they have to wrap them out the right way. So you right, have to right. train it where you're, you're doing a lot of contact with the body so that you're used to that kind of thing and throwing off your balance. You also want to make sure you obscure the vision of the rim so that you're almost just shooting them not blind, but like obviously simulating what it would be like to have a seven footer contesting those shots. And, you know, the good news for him is he's what is he? Six, eight. SGA. Mm, I thought he's like six, 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 six. Be- All right. We'll yeah. call him six, six long arms. Yes. Um, so he's got a little bit of an advantage there as opposed to like a, a Chris Paul kind of guy. Move, moves so, moves like he's six feet, though, like his yeah. feet. And, and by yeah. the way, you know, it's funny because to me, what I would have said isn't necessarily that that mid mid range area. It's the change of pace and, and the pace he plays with overall, which yes. is almost like slower than you'd say. And it kind of, um, you know, addresses what a lot of coaches, I think, screw up, which is. The notion of playing like 100% and you have to play as hard as you can, a lot of times the translation is as fast as you can, when in reality, you should be going 70%, 75%, and then a burst at, at like 85 or 90, so you're not completely off, off balance or out of control. And I think that SGA from a very young age uh, had figured that out and always been really good at that because he's, he's he is kind of cat quick. But he doesn't need to use it all the time, and it's probably better that way, kind of like how a pitcher in baseball will throw, you know, he'll throw his breaking balls and his off-speed stuff, and then when he, then that fastball seems even faster, even though it might not be 100 miles an hour. It feels that way because he's been setting you up with that. And um, he's a guy who we should, you know, try and pick apart and figure out how we learned that so early because so many of the younger players that I, I work with struggle with that change of pace. Yeah, I always talk about how he has elite footwork, and elite deceleration. I think his ability to slow down, he could do that at a great level. And to your point, when you're talking about 100% versus be able to change speeds and maybe go 70%, I always found that to be the difference between the college level and the pro level. Mm-hmm. Like pro, le- I mean, high- a college level always feels like it's 100, 100, 100. But when you see that, when you get to the pro level, a lot of players' games slow down and they learn how to play at different speeds. The, absolutely. And then you might even, I, I would almost think that maybe college coaches think, oh, look, they're not trying hard. What is this garbage? And the reality is they're so good that that's how you you play. And that's how you were able to be more explosive and be able to read the the, the, the floor better. Um, you know, it, it's interesting. I, I'm, I'm really down on college basketball right now. I'm, I'm probably going to do a video on um, the Illini coach because he, he lit his team on fire, then threw him under the bus last week. And at least this last loss, which was not a good, it was a pretty big loss for them. He, he did have quotes saying that he was on him, but um, I think he's saying that now because he realized that by, by throwing his team under the bus and saying that there was no leadership, they didn't play hard. um, They, they might've quit on him. And that's what he's realizing now. So, you know, there's a, there's a whole mindset, I think, in the college game that frustrates me because uh, if you're at a certain age or older, uh, there's a, there was a method of communication that they thought was the way you're supposed to do it. And it turns out it's the it's the opposite if you really want to get results. 
And um, I feel like uh, maybe they'll, you know, maybe Underwood will figure this out. But other guys I've seen have been in the face of that kind of, um, I guess we'll call it criticism of the way they're communicating. We'll see a lot of guys just being sarcastic and just dismissive. And it's like, you're just going to, you're going to be unhappy for the rest of your career and probably hold your teams back. There it was, Coach Nick. Let's get you to a million subscribers. Where could they find you? Well, if you type in B-Ball on YouTube, it'll autofill for you because I've been, I'm that old. Uh, and that's really where, you know, YouTube is the place to be. Twitter is, is somewhat fun, uh, sometimes when the thing is working, uh, although we're, I don't know what's going to happen. I guess my Mastodon account, I need to get that set up pretty soon or wherever else we're going to all going to move to. But so far the, the conversation still pretty robust, I think on Twitter. So you can find me everywhere at B-Ball Breakdown. Coach Nick, thank you so much for taking the time. It's always great talking basketball with you and talk soon. I'm in. There it is. Another episode of Combo's Court. Thank you to everyone who tunes into the show across the globe. Big shouts to Coach Nick for joining in. Go subscribe to B-Ball Breakdown and share this episode. Share this episode with a friend. Share it on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn. Share it on your IG stories and tag me on there at 1-2-Combo. That's O-N-E-T-W-O-C-O-M-B-O. And if you would like to receive bonus Combo's Court content, check out the Patreon page. I'll leave a link in the show notes for that. Be on the lookout for episode 432, Combo, out.